0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Nimes. We're really excited for today's two guests. So our first guest grew up playing for the Scarborough Solars and Falcons. He went on to play for Queens and Dalhousie, was representing Canada on our junior national team, and played at Canada Games, and later on played pro in Lithuania. And our second guest today is the former executive director of Volleyball Nova Scotia, is coached at Canada Games, uh, as coached 24 years as the head coach of the Dalhousie Tigers, winning 16 conference coach of the year awards and was just named to the Volleyball Canada Next Gen staff for the indoor men this summer. Please welcome to the show, Jesse Meiden and Dan Oda. Guys, thanks for doing this.
1: Thanks for having us. Thank you. So rare double
0: feature, <laughs> double feature. And I can't wait for the name dropping here, but uh, I'll start the name dropping. Dan, you took over the Dalhousie Tigers program for a guy named Al Scott and his name doesn't come up on the show as much as it should. But can you just tell me and the listeners, uh, you got to be his assistant before you got the head coaching role. What did he mean for just volleyball in Canada, volleyball on the East Coast? Like he, he just did so many great things. But like I said, we don't get to talk about him enough.
2: Yeah, and I think unless you spent time on the East Coast, like, you probably wouldn't really understand, like, the impact Dallas had, but, uh, yeah, originally out from BC uh, when he got recruited to, to take over the, the, the Dow and he was the head coach of 20 years before me, um, you know, had a lot of success uh, coaching on the West coast. Uh, I believe one of Canada games coaching team BC with a lot of old familiar names from uh, team Canada days, but, uh, but yeah, uh, just turned the Dow program into, you know, a team that uh, basically, they won pretty much every year that he was a Dow. Um, and so like they, you know, that culture of going to nationals every year that really started, uh, in Al's tenure. And then I was fortunate enough to, uh, to succeed him, And, and I was able to keep that going for, for a number of years. Uh, I think the landscape looks a little different now and if anybody watched nationals and we're not even in Atlantic university sport conference anymore, but, uh, but yeah, no, Al, uh, and Al's still going, you know, he's a, he's a, moved on from coaching indoor uh, at the university men's level. He's been coaching and running uh, the Bedford Blizzard Club um, just outside of Halifax for, for many, many years now. I believe they're the the biggest club in Nova Scotia and uh, certainly the best organized. That's for sure. He uh, not only brought a culture of winning to the East coast, but uh, I think it's had a huge impact both on the men's and the, the women's side. Thanks.
0: Yeah, very cool for setting the scene there. And uh, Jesse, just to kind of start before we get to your overlapping time at Dow, uh, being a Solars and a Falcons guy, who were some of your earlier coaches? Would you want to coach by like Mark Arsenault? Or who would have been some guys uh, that kind of got you into the club scene? I know you're a UCC guy, so we got to shout out Derek Poona for your school ball. But uh, uh, on the club scene, who would have been some of the guys you were coached by and played with?
1: Yeah, so I think I played against Arsenault, so I'm probably dating myself a bit there. He was a couple years senior to me. Uh just before his coaching tenure. So uh Donnie Wall is a name he got me into club volleyball, kind of ID'd me at Madawaska camp. Uh my first summer, I I try to take it more seriously. Uh Merrick Yee and Dexter Abrams. These are like a very niche shout out, but Dexter, uh, as a former middle. Uh, and a very successful in the York program, from what I understand, like really taught me the fundamentals of of middle that set me up really well. And then from there, Mark Ainsworth uh was a really, you know, foundational e coach in my timeline who I connected with. I can't remember if it was a solar or a, or a Falcon or kind of bridge the, those two those two programs. But I got uh, very fortunate to work with Mark for, for a couple of years towards the end of my high school, kind of those important years leading up to university. Um, so I just really benefited from having a lot of contact with guys who really knew the game very well, took their fundamentals seriously, never let you slack on your technique uh, and really enforced the work ethic. And then combined that with some just fantastic characters on those teams, we had a lot of fun and we had a lot of success on the court as well. So... Uh, that was that was the early years that set me up for for what came next.
0: Yeah, very cool, very cool. And when you were looking at universities, uh, what attracted you to Queens at the time?
1: Uh, yeah, it was interesting. That was like those, Dan and I were kind of reminiscing on the recruiting experience earlier. I think I had a bit of tunnel vision. Like I remember I was talking with some schools in the states. Um, but at the time, I think the dollar was trading at like 57 cents and they were only offering quarter scholarships. So those conversations didn't go very far and it you know, became apparent I was going to be staying in Canada. And then, you know, my my family had a big push towards academics and, you know, making it clear that that was the priority for going to school and volleyball would be a nice benefit you get to do. Um, but You know, that comes first. So, um, you know, it came down to Queens and and Western for me as the decision point. And this is Western uh, during the end of the Dave Preston era. So actually, when I went recruiting there, Preston was still the coach. And, you know, myself and Alex Jerome were both at UCC, both played club together, both, you know, had a lot of attention from, from recruiting. And I think a lot of people saw us as a kind of a package deal, whether or not, you know, it ended up being that we both went to Queens. But uh, we both kind of had an idea that we were, we probably leaned towards Western. And then we got the call one day, sometime in the I can't remember the timing, in spring or summer that Dave was leaving the program that program had been shifted they changed their their funding scheme and volleyball was no longer considered a quote-unquote tier one sport there and that kind of sealed the deal like we didn't want to really attach to that at that point um so we, we made the decision to go to Queen's mostly I'd say based on that plus the success that program had had the prior years obviously brenda had a, a great team they were graduating a lot of big names jake maglin brian bell ops like there was a lot of guys there when you went to go see them it was like a very impressive uh, oua team um so I think those were some of the major influence points. And, you know, it was interesting, you know, years later, I got to go back to Western to be a coach in that program after my, my playing career was over. So I think I got, I think I got the best part of the, the Western experience, uh, <laughs> not having been a player in those, those tougher years and getting to be there for some really great years with that program as well.
0: And Canada Games Now being an 18-year event has tweaked it a little bit. I think in your era, was it you 21 or you 22? Like you would have been a university student when you played Canada Games, right?
1: I was the younger part of it. So in 2001, I was still in high school. Uh, Yeah. So I did, uh, if I got this, like this is going embarrassingly many years back. So if I get this (laughs) chronology correctly, I did uh, Canada games, my grade 12 summer. I did the junior national team the summer before going to Queens. Uh, So after after I graduated, I would have been grade 13 at that point in time.
0: Uh, Who was the coach that cycle?
1: Canada Games or for uh, Canada Games of Lawson. Okay. And then for the junior national team was Larry McKay, was another like amazing coach to play for, knew the game and work, worked us to the bone. Uh, so that was cool to see. And that was that was a fun team, actually. Josh Howitzon, Chris Meehan in the middle, Luke, uh, Leo Carroll, my boy Wheels. We haven't shared with him out yet, but like yeah. he's a major, major character, Jeff Weiler. Um, you know, we go back to my first year playing club on the solar with Donnie Wall. And this is a guy, uh, I just saw him last weekend for a milestone birthday that will go unmentioned. and uh, and his life um so you know friends like that for 20 plus years are, are rare in this life so
0: the canada games here i think it's revisionist history at that point but i think the knock there was chris was a true high school and club coach he hadn't coached at university yet obviously we know him as like a waterloo coach but at that time uh what were the expectations for team ontario that year i think uh, ontario if we don't win gold it's always like you underachieve but what were your memories of that canada game cycle
1: so this is an interesting story actually expectations were extremely high, and they made the point that you know this is what's expected of you is a medal that's not bronze um and that was put us in a tough spot, obviously, like just from a mental standpoint that that that's what we go into, but our preparation for it was was interesting because uh and people outside the team probably wouldn't remember this, but like this is the team that they sent us over to Europe. It was actually my first time going to Europe, and we we went on a, a, a trip to Belgium, to Liege, Belgium, and played against a bunch of European club teams. And obviously, with the intention that like this is going to prepare us, and we're going to be training against guys that you know the other teams don't have access to. And if a couple other provinces are doing like interlock games and scrimmages and stuff like that, you know, we'll have an advantage. I think you know, cool theory. The only issue was that the teams we showed up to play were like 14 years old. And so we beat the absolute snot out of these little European guys. Confidence through the roof, you know, just trashed them, had a great time in Europe. It was, you know, cool cultural experience for a lot of us. Got to see, you know, Vimy Ridge was like an amazing, every Canadian, if they have an opportunity to do that, should do so. And so the coaches made a point of like making us appreciate the Canadian experience in all of this. And, you know, we, we appreciated the opportunity to go see Europe. But as far as preparing us for Canada games, I would say, maybe not the best. And so when we got there, we definitely underperformed. I can't remember if we finished fourth or fifth, but there were no medals. There was a lot of disappointment. Tough one.
0: For sure. For sure. Yeah. Thanks for all the details there. So while this is going down, Dan, you switched from the assistant coach role to the head coach at Dallas. Roughly the the timeline's the same, but uh, we just had Adam Schreimer on the show and we kind of discussed... When you go from the assistant to the head coaching job, obviously you respect the head and you kind of want to keep the tradition of the program, but you got to do it your way too, right? So do you remember your first couple of years at Dow where you're kind of like, this is what Al liked to do and I respect that versus like, this is what Dan Oda's program is going to look like. Did you kind of have that inner dialogue or start to think about it that way?
2: I'm not sure I looked at it quite like that. Um, I mean obviously the familiar with familiarity with the athletes was was pretty high, although you know in my first year we had a we had some new players come in that that I didn't have a prior experience with but from the perspective of like just knowing the core guys already from working with with them when I was an assistant to al certainly uh made that transition pretty smooth and I think it's it's always easier for that new coach. Once a culture's already been a winning culture's already been established, uh to just add a few tweaks that just maybe it helps them get over the top um I wouldn't say it was the, the strongest team we've had at Dow in my first season the ninety nine two thousand year um but what was so memorable about that season and the guys that were playing on that team i mean uh, uh dave cox uh chris Wolfenden played with the national team. Uh, Josh Meese played the national team. Aaron Nutting, Sean Horsbecker, uh, Mike Chumley, um, Ryan Andrews, another team old guy. Um, like, we played Laval. I think, it must have been five or six times that year in exhibition, and they thumped us every time. And they were hosting nationals as the number one seed that, that year at nationals, and we went in as the eighth seed, and we beat them in five in that, in that opening round match. And, um, you know, so, so for me, that was such a memorable, uh, you know, uh, way to kind of cap off the season uh, to knock off the number one team at, in their gym, um, in the place was just bananas, um, really fun environment to play in. Um, but that, you know, certainly looking back at that, you know, many years later, I, I think that, you know, that, the culture that already been established with that team and Al obviously had a a huge part of that. Um, It was very easy for me to come in and just add some tweaks to, to that, you know, maybe introduce some systems, things that, you know, maybe they didn't have, they weren't doing in the past. And, uh, but yeah, that was very easy. Um, I think the real work starts when that, you know that group graduates and then you have to start fresh with a new cycle of guys and that proves to be very proves to be very very difficult now and unfortunately for me I had you know guys like Jesse and a number of other guys that that he mentioned that were playing with them at the time uh, that were able to come in uh, and uh, really you know, elevate us to a, to a, to real high, uh, standing, uh, on a national standard. So, um, I think the real work starts when, when you got to kind of bring your guys in and then have to, kind of re-implement culture and, and try to establish, you know, kind of your own foundations. And I think Adam, uh, did a great job with that team at Trinity and, and certainly, you know, winning a national championship, uh, you know, really kudos to them, uh, watching them in the finals that uh, they really played at a, at an extremely high level. And I know that Sherbrooke team pretty well because uh, we play them a lot in our league. Um, but I think, you know, when he, when that team that he is coaching is like guys that he is recruited, I think that's, that's where you're really going to see like all that work you got to put in. So, uh, I'm sure, you know, Adams can be well up to the challenge and, uh, that program is going to be in great hands.
0: So Jesse, when did you start to look at the, at the switch? Was this to pursue your education further? You were looking for a change? Like, uh, what made yeah. you leave Queens and, and look for Dow?
1: So, uh, at the end of my first year at Queen, that successful first year in CIS, uh, on a personal note, like it was, I think I got a nod to the rookie team with CIS. CIS, I don't understand you guys. they call it U Sports, Dan. We yes, we did. <laughs> rebranding. Okay, but uh, so if I, you'll have to forgive me, but so we, um, I, I got a rookie team nod there. I think I was leading the league in in individual block blocking. So that was, that was great. And that got me, um, an invite to the national team ID camp that summer where I injured my back terribly. I think I, it was like my first major injury in sport, uh, whereas a full L5 S1 herniation required surgery and shut me down for my second year of play. Uh, so that happened. And in parallel to that, our, our year, our team year, uh, my first year at Queens ended in like a really tragic fashion where, I think we were we put worked hard to put ourselves in a good spot in the table. Hosted playoffs game one, we're up two two nothing against Western, and I went on to lose in five at home in like a really really calamitous fashion. Um, and it was clear that you know that team was, uh, at Queens was in like a really rebuilding phase after having graduated a lot of those those big names. Um, and so finding myself injured, unable to play, unable to dress, kind of opened my eyes to the possibility like maybe this is an opportunity to make a switch. I think academically, I was really dragging it. Like without, I was kind of just hitting this rut where sports wasn't where I wanted to be. Academics was where I wanted to be. Um, and I felt the time was kind of needed to make the switch. And I mentioned Jeff Weiler, my my good friend, who had had a you know, wonderful experience in his first year at Dalhousie. And, um, you know, mentioned... If there is a switch to happen here, this might be a good spot for you to land. Uh, they had great middles uh, in the lineup already. Tim Wiley and Adam Jones were, were putting up great numbers, but I thought I could compete for one of those spots. Um, the doctors after the surgery told me, like, this is a full recovery situation, fortunately, so be, you'll be able to return to full competition within a, if, you, if you do your rehab right within a year. Um, and so, you know, I took the leap of faith. I, I don't think Dan and I really knew each other well at all like we were aware of each other in the volleyball community but didn't really know each other before you know i started making that move and, you know, it, it, it was great timing because a couple other guys uh, were making moves out there as well. Scott Townsend, our setter, uh, you know, done uh, done a year at Waterloo in Ontario, but wanted to get back home uh, to Nova Scotia. Uh, Dan Murray is another Ontario guy who was talking about transplanting. I think he followed me by a year. Maybe he redshirted the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a great you know, core group of guys at Dalhousie that were kind of staggered and, and mixed. Older guys, newer guys in the program. And, you know, Dan talked about the, the winning culture. That's very attractive when you know, like you, you look at the league and, and you know you're gonna get a shot at nationals every year. Um, but also you get out there and you appreciate that like these guys are training at a really high level. The, the caliber of volleyball they're playing is really high. And the culture around the team was really great. A lot of the, the names that Dan mentioned uh, those are guys that came back and, and gave back to the program. So when you got there and got to meet people, you realize that you know it's expected that you're going to buy into this system and that you're going to be supported if you do. And uh, you know you got a lot of really great guys working really hard with a with a great coach. Um, you know, we had our shot anyway. So it it was a great move as it turned out to be both on the, on the sporting front, uh, but also academically set me up for, you know, my career that followed. And, uh, you know, looking back, it was uh, really happy I made that jump.
0: That's great to hear all the names you mentioned, because to Dan's point uh, the cycle kind of had left, right? The yeah. um Wolfenden, Terry Martin, like the national team guys had left. So maybe at first glance it's like maybe Dow's rebuilding, but you had you, uh, Wheeler was there. I'm looking at some of these awards. Kanita played a year there. Uh, we'll get so to the...
1: To Jeff Rand was the, our other left side. Dan Casey, like West Coast legend. Uh, Dan Casey was my... We started in the middle, I think, or in, in, in year two or... That would have like, been near the end. Of near the end, that's right. right. Uh, but Wiley was out there and Wiley and I, Tim Wiley and I played together on the Team Ontario uh, cycle. Uh, Randy. Randy. Well, that's right, Randy Scark, Ottawa legend. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so like, there was a lot of really big names who would come from pretty far away to be a part of this program, uh, which I think is a testament to you know the quality of the program and, and the high character people in Crocker.
0: Now you've mentioned him twice. Let's, let's tell some Jeff Wheeler stories. Cause I think that's a great, so Dan, what was your first impression of this kid from Ontario? Because Chumley told me a few stories like Jeff doesn't toot his own horn or something, but Chumley would tell me, they would just go in the gym in the summer and Chumley would serve him. He said hundreds of balls and I can just picture like Jeff, just passing balls with nobody else around. Like was his work ethic just off the charts, obviously a very skilled guy, but was it just the time he was willing to put in that made him that much more special?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think Jeff's Jeff's a very unique guy in our program's history and I mean he certainly put a lot of time into into his craft um I would the one thing that I would say that will always stick in my mind as far as Jeff is uh his unshakable self belief uh almost to the point where it got annoying at times as a coach cuz if you ever wanted to to know how good Jeff was just had to ask Jeff and he'll tell you how, how good he was. And he would often tell the referees how good he was at their job also. And, um, so anyways, his degree of confidence was like, it was elite. Um, he, I never thought he, I don't remember a game where he was unprepared, uh, where, he wasn't performing at an extremely high level. So I think just his consistency, and I think it really stemmed from his uh, his confidence and his belief in his ability to get the job done. Um, the things that, you know, I think he spoiled us in many ways. Um, uh, watching him do these just incredibly skill things at at such a high level for, for five years with our program. Um, And then obviously that's a big drop off at any time you lose a guy like that. Uh, They, at the time when he was playing, they had a uh, national libero of the year award and he won that award basically every year that he, that the award was in existence while he was at Dow. So of course, Jeff being Jeff, you know, suggested maybe they should have just named the award after him, but You know, it clearly is not. He took pressure off the rest of us because we didn't
1: have to worry about winning awards anymore. (laughs) Uh, We knew where they were going for the most part. Um, Look, he's he's an awesome teammate, Um, a teammate that kind of elevates your level of play by raising the level of expectation on the team. And, you know, as a middle, the interplay between the front row and the back row, knowing that if we're going to get the touches, those balls are going to be having transition opportunities, uh, and then also, you know, as a middle, knowing that the quality of passing, if, that, if they're foolish enough to serve Jeff, like, is going to be is going to there, it's going to give their center a chance to, to run an offense, uh, was was really high. He played with a lot of passion and kind of brought up all of us around him. Um, I, I will remember in high school, he didn't play for his high school team because I don't think they fielded an men's team or at least not a good enough one to get his attention. So he refed. And so he would ref me in high school um including in like a city championships game uh it was ucc versus francis lieberman at lieberman and i will always remember this because an overpass came to me on match point that i hit out of bounds uh that jeff you know couldn't blow the whistle because he was laughing too hard at me basically uh but that's that's life
2: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's a good story for us. Isn't that, isn't that where Mark coached Lieberman? Yeah,
1: Mark. so Ainsworth was the coach at Lieberman. And those guys, a lot of those guys were on our club team too. So for Alex Jerome and I, who play club with all of those dudes, it was kind of fun to like, kind of see them in an alternate environment. Mm. Uh, we brought a bunch of UCC fans uh, out to Lieberman. <laughs> And which was great. It was an electric gym. It's a kind of one of those small high school gyms that was just buzzing. It was. We went to full time, and obviously, I would have liked to have won it. But you know, I still remember it being a great game and a great atmosphere. But the thing that stands out for me was wheels on the bloody stand.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Now, anyone similar to me in age when they think Dalhousie, uh, Nicholas Rodmacher, and I, sorry if I'm saying that wrong. That name comes up over and over again. Dan, what were the early conversations about uh, he wants to come to Dal, you want him to come to Dal? Like, uh, how did you get this German cat who just seemed to win awards and hammer balls, how did you get him to be a Dalhousie Tiger?
2: Well, more opportunities to name drop there for you, Josh. But uh, that all started with uh, Jody Holden, um, former Dal player and um, legend. You know, obviously, he had a very uh, distinguished career both indoor with the national team, but also on the beach scene where he he, he went to the Olympics. Um, but he got to know Nicholas um, on the FIVB uh, World uh, Beach Tour at the time, and Nick and his uh, his partner at the time they were they were ranked high enough to qualify for the Olympics, but they had country quota. And I believe both the teams that were ranked ahead of him in, within Germany were both in the top five. So basically, he had no real route to get to the Olympics. Um, and so they just got to talking, and uh, Nick decided he wanted to uh, uh, come to Canada for and try try the, the you know the student athlete experience. And uh, he had to narrow down to a few different places, and and just kind of he when he weighed the pros and cons he thought halifax was the best kind of fit for what he was looking for uh he only intended on it being a, a year and um he had such a positive experience that he decided that he wanted to do it for uh for the length of a, a degree and so he he stayed with us for for four years and uh those those years overlap with uh with jesse i remember many uh, entertaining interactions Nick had because Nick is, you know, I I mean, it's, we shouldn't be stereotyping people in general, but, uh, Nick was extremely organized, very punctual. Um, just a lot of things that maybe people would, would characterize as, as very German qualities anyways. Uh, so uh, I think I think it, it was a, it was a bit of a challenge and a bit of a, like not challenging in a negative way. But I, I think our guys that were accustomed to the campus life in Canada uh, really took it upon themselves to take on this challenge of like acclimatizing this this German guy to uh, university life. But
1: and, at the same time, like we learned a ton from him. Like the ball, Nick is an amazing volleyball player. We can get to how good Nick it is at volleyball. Being a six ten passing four beach volleyball player converted to like an indoor guy it was amazing. Yeah. Bottom line. But off the court too. He was very serious, right? And that's what a lot of guys for who are student athletes need to know. Like Nick, you never had to worry about like not doing his homework, not doing his readings, not taking video time with the team serious enough, not taking preparation serious enough, not taking his diet serious enough. Like because he came from a professional beach background, he brought with him the things you come to know as when, when sports is your professional life. Um, and for a lot of university guys who are like, you know, eating McDonald's and like jumping on the team bus and showing up for, late for practice, like this wouldn't fly with Nick. So it, it kind of furthered this, this team culture of on time, having done your work, showing up to work, working hard and taking it seriously. Like no one likes to win more than Nick Rodocker, And, you know, that was, it was great being on his team as a teammate. Um, and you know, it's a a great guy who lives across the world, but we still trade messages from time to time. Now I got to live with him two of the years I was out there. I think we were, we were housemates with other guys, uh, really cool experience and, you know, just amazing, amazing athlete, amazing, amazing human.
0: No, I think, uh, the the casual armchair quarterback answer would be Dalhousie's a great school and you get to go to nationals every year. That might be why it's so easy to get recruits, but it can't be that easy, Dan, right? So when you're looking at maybe getting the 6'10 German guy or you're getting a junior national team guy like Jesse Meitner, I, I could go down the list. Like Sander Ratsip was a heck of a volleyball player. It just, just it seems like every cycle you have so many good players. But in your opinion, how are you getting these guys to commit to Dalhousie? Because I know it is a great school. I'm sure you, you lean on that a little bit, but there's a lot of great schools, right? So How are you getting them to join the AUS? Like, is it, is it just getting them on the recruiting trip? They see Halifax and they're in, or what are some things that you try to push and that you value that these, these guys want to commit and they want to be a part of the program?
2: Yeah, it, for sure. Like, I think the campus visits, it goes a long way. Um, you know, if you've never been out to Halifax, you really have to get out there to, to kind of get a sense of what that city and that, what that that housing campus feels like. It's, uh, I can speak from my own experience, having grown up in Calgary uh, and then moving out to Halifax for the first time in the fall of 1993, I was, this was like, yeah, this, this place is amazing. I never could have imagined Halifax and Dalhousie could be like this. And I think once people get to get to experience that themselves, they, they quickly realize that, uh there's not a better place to be in the country. Uh, And obviously I'm biased, but, uh, but unashamedly. So, Um, and, you know, I think some, some guys went at the age of 17 or 18 are ready for that. And some are not, it's, it's not, some guys would just want to be closer to home and that's, that's fair. And we don't get every uh, top recruit that we go after. um, As I'm sure all my colleagues would, would attest to. Um, But I think, you know, what also goes a long way is just the, the, the experiences that your people that are already in the program uh, have had. And so like Jesse referenced, you know, talking to Jeff about, his experience at Dow and, and that being a, a you know a compelling reason to to, to seriously consider Dell. and and so you know the same thing when you we just we we're just talking about Nick uh, coming from Germany and you know he was talking to to Jody and Jody was speaking you know very positively about Dalhousie obviously and and that went a long way so um, it's certainly been my experience that your your athletes are often your best. Uh, recruiters, your best ambassadors. Um, they don't necessarily understand that at the time, but, uh, you know, if they can speak really positively, authentically about their experience, then uh, I think that goes a long way. Um, you know, our... We were talking about Mike before we we started this pop, podcast. Michael Donovan, who it uh, was with the the Next Gen, uh, Gen program last summer, and he's currently in, uh, one of our uh, one of our players in, in, at Dalhousie. Uh, his older brother Matthew um, played played for us and was a very you know he was not highly recruited when he came out, but uh, his parents were Dal alum. and uh, you know and and so that quickly turned into a thing where you know, we were, we wanted to give Matt that chance at Dow and and he was a five-year starter for us and uh, was just, you know, had an incredible career and uh, is now doing his, his medical, uh, med- he's in medicine at Dow now and he's helping out with as a coach and, and, of course, his younger brothers now at Dow is one of the best players we've ever had in our program. So, I, I really think, it's those connections that and the, the relationships and the experiences those those people have that that have probably been the biggest factors in uh, us having the recruiting uh, success that we've had over the years.
0: Now, Jesse, let us in uh, behind the scenes here because a pessimist they would say, you know what, Dow wins the Aus every year. So, how do you guys stay focused? Like, was it always? we want to do well at nationals. Was it maybe about keeping the conference streak alive? Like how do you guys, like maybe you don't drop a match in the first semester, but how do you stay focused and be like, guys, this isn't our goal. This isn't good enough. Or, or do you take the time to celebrate and say, you know what, we're having a heck of a, a conference season, but let's keep building on it. Like what, what is the mood for those pessimists that would say, Oh, you guys beat up on Memorial, like big deal versus what some of these can West guys are doing. Right. So what what is the message to kind of keep guys connected, but also be happy that what you're doing at, at home in your own division. Right.
1: I think one of the, uh, you key know, life goals, I'd say, we learned from Dan, which is you know, really stressed into the team, was you know, don't be complacent. And, and just the fact that you've, you've beaten a team 3 nothing in 45 minutes is not indicative of, of anything. Um, so, you know, it's, it's easy in that setup where you'd, we'd show up in Moncton or Moncton would show up in our gym and their program was at a different level um, than, you know, they didn't have, take it quite well. Who knows? I can't speak to what they did, but either way, they weren't as competitive as our, our team was. And so, you know, it, it wasn't good enough that the result on the paper, it was how how we achieved that result. And so I remember a number of games that were probably 3 nothing or 3-1 wins where the tone of the locker room after the game was pretty somber because the way that that game had been won uh, wasn't the caliber of ball that we had wanted to play. The things that we'd been working on in practice you know, weren't displayed on the, on the court. And yes, obviously we won the game, but you know, the message Dan drilled into us again and again is that kind of performance against a Can West team is going to be a three nothing loss. And so that was kind of always in our head. And I think the other, to Dan's credit, uh, the use of exhibition time to go and seek out those tougher com- opponents. So uh, traveling to Ontario for the York Excalibur Tournament, which always attracts a great roster, perhaps spending New Year's in Saskatchewan playing against, you know, Sask and West teams, but also defending NCAA champs Pepperdine were there and, and others. Um, you know, got us opportunities to see that really top level and test where we were against really quality opponents. And then going home and, you know, if your opponent uh, in the upcoming week isn't, you know, quite as strong on paper as you are, the best trading you might get that week is, you know, uh, gold team versus black team. And, And those split squad games were always super intense. Um, I tried to do my part to make sure that like the 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 attitude on the court felt like a simulated game so I would be going as hard as my opponents across the net in practice as I would against any opponent uh on the court and you know we we had some very spirited matches there that I think pushed us to perform. Um, you know, I think I'll admit, like we never at nationals level, was, the goal was always to, to get into a medal position and give ourselves a chance for a medal. And it's a goal I was never able to achieve. Um, so, you know, we gave ourselves those shots, being at Nationals, competing against those teams and having those opportunities was, was what we worked towards. I would like to see a few different bounces go our way in a few of those games. But, um, you know, overall, very proud of the level we were able to achieve because when I look back and it, we were playing a very high, high standard of volleyball, which is a lot of fun to be a part of.
0: And just to build on Jesse's point there, Dan, how important was the exhibition schedule? Because uh, obviously you got to fundraise, you got to rely on alumni support, you got to plan your budget, really. Like it's not, you don't have this unlimited budget where you're like, oh, we're going to this tournament, we're going to that tournament. So how important was it for you to like source contacts, have good relationships, find these opportunities to compete? Because yeah, maybe a pessimist might say you're not getting those matches in conference play, but it looks like every major tournament, you guys were looking for an opportunity to play other teams, right?
2: Yeah. And I mean, context matters a lot here because you know before me there I remember talking to Garth Pischke about this uh, he said that they were at average over 50 matches in a season uh, when you counted league and exhibition uh, and it was just a different time. Uh, Canada West wasn't what it looks like now. Uh, there was a, 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 a GPAC or Great Plains Conference as well as Canada West. There's only five teams in Canada West at the time. Three in GPAC. There's an Ontario East. There's an Ontario West. There's a Quebec Conference and there's an Atlantic Conference. There's six conferences in the country, and the amount of exhibition play was uh, was great. Like there was almost every month of the season, you could get you could get a good exhibition tournament if your league schedule out for it. Um, Obviously you know, fast forward 2023 it doesn't look anything like that. Um, You know, Canada West, a lot of teams, Ontario, a lot of teams, both leagues are, um, you know, really tied up with league play for for the most part and and there's very, very few opportunities and, and it's Probably the biggest reason why there's so much debate about national championship structure and birth. The hardest thing to do is you compare teams that just never play each other because the conferences just don't don't get out and play much uh, in out of of region stuff anymore. Um, And of course, in Atlanta, Canada, losing programs like Memorial and Moncton over the years, Quebec losing McGill. Um, and in our two conferences merging, merging in the, um, in recent years, uh, you know, we have five teams that we compete in, in the RCQ now. Um, so there's probably a bit more flexibility in our schedule. That said, um, you know, our, our conference is so competitive now. It doesn't resemble anything like what we would have seen in, in the old AUS days, um, at all. So unfortunately, one of the, the things that's, uh, you know we've lost along the way is that that interconference play which which I know you know Jesse's time, like he got to experience that on, on a number of occasions, and it, it I think it just it, it it just adds a lot more to the season. It just it it's just really fun and and interesting. And I think volleyball fans anywhere across the country, uh, I think would really be interested in in seeing that more often. I just don't think it's the reality with with how the leagues look now, uh, particularly Canada West and in OUA. Yeah, one of the cool stories that that's a Saskatchewan
1: trip where we spent New Year's in Regina. Mm-hmm. Uh, played against Pepperdine, who at the time was the defending NCAA Div one championship team. Their middles were six, ten, and seven feet tall. Uh, their starting right side, that left, that Australian lefty. I think he was a yeah. national team player. Yeah, yeah. And we we beat him in five. Um, You know, doing things like that, uh, having those opportunities to test yourself against guys who are you know physically huge good, come from big background, play at the top level, giving yourself that, putting yourself in that, in that arena, you can't really simulate that. Even if you're going to, you know, against a weaker opponent, simulate certain offensive tactics or defensive tactics or focus on certain serving elements, you can't, it's hard to replicate uh, a true test on the floor against the top team. So, you know, it's, it's too bad then hearing that there's not as many opportunities for these athletes to, to kind of mix the pot and throw a bunch of teams in the gym and see see who's going to come out on top. Because those were those were some really cool experiences from an athlete perspective.
0: And just to follow your timeline here, Jesse, because one thing I wanted to bring up uh, when we had Snake, uh, Ryan Vandenberg on the show. Just for context for our listeners, there's a ton of guys playing pro volleyball right now, but there was an era that if you weren't on the national team, you probably weren't getting too many looks. So he name dropped you a little bit as a guy who got a pro contract when you weren't a senior A guy. So let us know the behind the scenes. How did that, that come about? Did you have an agent? How did this first pro deal come together? Because if Ryan's saying what is true, it was pretty rare at that time, right? That's
1: yeah, so. Yeah. Like, you know, it's. <laughs> We had a good showing at Nationals that last year, my last year on the team. I think we we played in the top half of the bracket. That's the, the yeah, we beat, we beat Sask.
2: Yeah, we beat Sask in the first round. lost to the semis and in lost to yeah. the bronze medal. Yeah. That's right. But I,
1: I think individually, I put up a good tournament, certainly enough that like an agent came up to me after or at some point during that tournament and was like, Look, if if it's going overseas is something you're interested in, you're certainly not going to get rich doing this, but uh, we could probably find you a contract for next year. And so, in my career timeline, that happened right around the time I was applying to uh, to law schools. And so, uh, the law school acceptances came in right at the same time as a, a couple offers came in, um, and I, I had offers uh, to go play in Sweden, Denmark, or Lithuania. Um, I called up. Uh, Western Law. and said, "Look, I want to defer this for a year so I can go, you know, f- follow through on this uh, this volleyball career." They were very supportive of it. Um, so, you know, all things being equal, the cost of living in Lithuania compared to Sweden and Denmark is a lot lower, and so the, the money was roughly the same uh, in kroner versus litas. Uh, I took the Lithuania contract, and it was a, a pretty pretty wild experience. Um, you know, so getting over there, there was two other Canadians on the team. Our coach was German. Uh, and the rest of the team was was lithuanian it was a startup team so we had all the problems of like a small business startup and like an expansion sports team and i I think the dynamic i don't know this for a fact but like a lot of the guys were playing on a competitive men's club team showed up one day and were told they're now professional athletes (laughs) and expected to play uh, like at a higher level against guys who were like training so our league was the, it's called the Baltic Schenker League. Um, it was interlocked between Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia. And I, I believe some of those top Latvian and Estonian teams were CEV teams as well. Um, but like, We didn't have a whole lot of success on the court, I'll put it that way, Uh, but but the opportunity to play in some of these like random small towns uh, throughout the Baltics and to live in in Lithuania uh, and frankly to see my volleyball career to its natural conclusion and conclude that, you know, that was probably as far as it was going to get. I remember... So that it ended when I got injured as well. I, I, I redid my back that I mentioned earlier in the program, part way through that, because they don't preventative medicine is a, a new concept in Lithuania. At least it was at that time. Um, and the workload as a middle was just too much for my back to take. So I a disc again, had to come home. And I had a conversation with my coach Manfred on the way out. I said, Hey, like, what do you think, coach? If I hadn't got hurt, could I have made it like to the next level? He said, No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when someone puts your your name and a, a, and a number of money on a page and you kind of figure out how much you're worth for that particular skill set is a, a bit of a sobering experience. Um, but uh, I was really happy to have had that experience. Uh, it's something I talk about almost every week to this day. People want to hear that story. And certainly as I move through like law school into a legal career, it, it's an experience that very few people you know, ever have an opportunity to do it, no matter what sport it is. Um, And it just kind of shifted my perspective on so many things, like appreciation from where we're from, appreciation for, you know, the career I went into and my time in the the sport of volleyball um, and how different people approach the sport of volleyball from different places in the world. Uh, It was was such a cool experience I wouldn't have traded for anything, even though the hardships at the time were were many. Uh, You know, looking back on it years later, you can do nothing but laugh.
0: And just to follow your timeline, one more step, law school's got to be gnarly with time management and everything else you have to do. Why was it so important for you to coach right away? Because uh, doing the other show, Sharp Cuts, with my guy, Garrett May, we, we, take some, we poke some fun at Jim Sage every once in a while, but he is so good at surrounding himself with really good coaching staff that like, you've helped out, Wheeler's helped out, uh, Atkinson's helped out, John May, Like Jim Sage is in charge, but he's not afraid to have other voices in the room. So, like, Why was that important for you to give up the limited free time you did have to coach a varsity team?
1: Like I wasn't ready to totally give up the sport at that point. Like I, I was kind of as close to the game as I had ever been. Like so, I came back from Lithuania in the spring, had my back surgery, kind of spent the summer rehabbing, knowing I wasn't going to go back to that level of competition. Just trying to get the level of functionality. And uh, I think I dropped Jim a note at some point and just said, "Hey, like I'll be there in the fall. Any chance I can work for the program?" He was very welcoming uh, right away. Um, so that first year, uh, working with Jim, I, like I told Dan today, like my, my mindset was kind of like a mini Oda because I had learned, I'd spent so much time, you know, being in Dan's presence in the gym and seeing Dan's style of coaching that when, you know, I had the opportunity to coach, I think not only in terms of like the kind of drills I did, the way I, I would help gym structure practices and my demeanor on, on the court in the gym, was a lot like Dan, but, you know, I, those cultural things and those those same important points you try to drill into your athletes it was, was what I tried to impart on those guys, too. And then my second year, uh, Jeff had finished his pro career in in Greece um, and was coming to Western to do his postgraduate work. So it was amazing kind of having that phase of life where me and my best friend are back together in a volleyball setting, but in a coaching setting. Uh, for for a couple of years Uh, was just a really special time for both of us uh, to kind of sail into that part of our our lives together. Um, And the opportunity to do it with a bunch of athletes who are very good athletes as well. Like Gary came through the program. Uh, Eric Simon was there. Andrew Hinchy was still there. Um, I'm going to forget a ton of names, but like, you know, Phil James was there during my time there. We had some really great guys um, who wanted to, and advanced their games to to a high level and who were receptive to coaching and who were willing to put in the work. Um, and so, you know, we had some very successful years during during our time there. And I think just after I left is when they went on to like really the upper echelons of the sport, like the CIS Silver, U Sports Silver Medal. Um, at one point after my after my tenure there, a uh, huge amount of pride in seeing guys I had had an opportunity to work with really perform at that level and have an opportunity to do that was so cool. Um, And to work with Jim, Jim is, you know, a fantastic human. He's a really uh, emotional guy, a really positive guy. Um, But to your point, like, he's also open to other people coming in and and adding to the mix. Like, it was a cool, uh, low ego environment where it was just athletes first. Let's see, you know, if we put all of our ideas together, how can we get the best product on the course? Um, And, you know, it was was cool for me to kind of transition from that player to that coach, and then out into, uh, you know, the next step of my career. Um, having seen it from the other side of the bench, I, I really do miss coaching. I had a hope it's not over, but I got to get through a couple files first before I get another
0: chance <laughs> <answer> to do it. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And Dan, why is it so important for you to represent Canada? Obviously, it's an honor and I'm sure you don't take it for granted. But looking at your schedule, looking at every holiday, every possibility, you're on a plane or a bus somewhere to play. And then you get your summers off and you're like, I want to go live in Gatineau and eat the buffet every meal of my life here. So what what is it that keeps you going back to the national team? Uh, because you've already accomplished so much but to be named to the next gen again, like it seems like you keep throwing your hat into the ring and I'm curious what makes you keep coming back when if anyone deserves a break or time off volleyball, it seems to be you and your
2: schedule, right? Yeah. And, and I, I, I did the Canada games women's program last summer as well for Nova Scotia. So uh, I jokingly said to uh, a colleague uh, that basically everything I had to say no to over the last 10 years, I said yes to in one summer. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, I certainly wouldn't have planned it the last year, the way it went, but obviously everybody was, you know, uh, had to deal with the pandemic in in their own way. Um, I I think, you know, certainly our circumstances around where our team is now um, relative to our, our new, you know, kind of the the merge in the two conferences, it it is so hard to win in our, in our league right now. Uh, I just feel like, you know, Uh, We ask a lot from our, our athletes in our program to, you know, take their game constantly, take their game to new levels and to constantly be improving that, uh, you know, I have to be doing the same thing. And if, if I'm expecting that from my players then then we certainly, you know, from myself, I need to be doing the same thing. So, um, you know, having an opportunity to, uh, to get in into team Canada gym last summer, uh, working with some incredible coaches, um, obviously, uh, Ben, uh, a longtime friend uh, gave me that opportunity. I'm very really appreciative for that. Um, And just kind of seeing what that environment looked like, having an opportunity to work with Dan Lewis for for most of the summer, uh, unbelievable experience for me. Uh, I brought so much out of that. And even though I was absolutely exhausted um, at the end of the summer and I'm just recovering now physically, um, I mean, in terms of what I learned from that experience, uh, I... I I wouldn't do a a single thing differently as far as like how that, how that went out, uh, how that went last summer. And now that we have a new coach coming in uh, for the last part of this cycle, uh, I'm very excited to kind of, Again, just constantly going in there and uh, learning from people that have been doing this longer than I have at, at a higher level. Um, and so, you know, for me, I'm, I'm just fortunate that they've uh, asked me uh, to be part of the program again, and uh, I really look forward to getting back in there with uh, a lot of the athletes that we worked with last summer, some new faces, obviously, uh, but especially uh, the new head coach. I'm very excited about what that opportunity could look like.
0: Yeah. I love hearing that because I think a lot of coaches want their athletes to be lifelong learners, but yeah, as a coach, you got to kind of step up every once in a while. So what advice would you give to younger coaches? I think it's awesome to be in the gym and you want to steal drills, but it can happen informally too, right? Like it can happen at dinners. It can happen at the breakfast table. Like uh, how are some things that you've learned? Because you mentioned Dan Lewis, you've also been around Hawkins, Davoduck, like all these guys who've been through the program. Like uh, I know your rival, you sports coaches, but our are, are conversations just happening all the time when you guys are together.
2: Uh, they. I mean, these guys like they know the game. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, like I'm learning as much or more from them than they, they would be from me. Um, I mean, I I don't like to age myself too much, but like uh I try to recruit Brock to to Dow uh way back in the day. So and Brock's a dad and you know, he's just... so yeah, I've I've been around a little while too, but uh but yeah, no, I think you know, just Thinking about my own experience as a coach, like I I didn't have a story playing career or anything like that, like Jesse did. Um, so I just I just looked for opportunities to 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 get to be a better coach any anywhere I could. And the first thing I did was I just spent a lot of time watching the game at a high level and and trying to figure out what these guys were doing. And then uh, when I did have you know was fortunate enough to, to to have a conversation with some of these coaches, you know, I, it was often just like asking them like you know, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And, and, uh, fortunately enough people, uh, you know, would, would answer and spend some time telling me, you know, kind of things that they did and why they did them. And, um, and yeah, and over the years I, I, For sure, like I, I I watched what our colleagues are doing across the country, and and uh, they're all you know very knowledgeable and and in in, in some ways even innovative, and and if you're trying to beat these teams, you got to really study them, and so um, so yeah, no, I, I I think for any young coach, it's just. It, I could tell you, it, it, it's hard to appreciate at the time, but, you know, the more you get to know about the game, the more you realize you don't know much about the game. And and uh, and that's still still very much the case for me. That's the way I'm looking at this upcoming summer. As much as I thought I learned last summer, I think I'll, I'll probably end up learning even more this summer. And one of the things, like playing, having played for Dan for a bunch of
1: years, like one of the things you did so well was kind of pick up elements from other sports that were important traits to have as an athlete, like a high-performance athlete, and, and bring them into us. So I think our Mario's years were probably aligned with a lot of, like, the New England Patriots dynasty era. And so it was like the running joke. I mean, we were sick of hearing how Bill Belichat <laughs> like ran approach and approach to program. Um, but it was, you know, I think these were really important things to know, like because the difference often at these at these higher levels is in the mental state of the athletes and how cohesive a team can be uh, and how cohesive that team can be in adverse situations, um, in, in hostile environments, and you're still expected to go out and, and perform. And so Dan would often like drill into us like a, a lot of points from other sports and athletes from other sports that, you know, not necessarily volleyball that it influenced the way we practice i just needed to shout out two more guys i remember from the from the stangs era who have gone on to great things sean mckay and pat johnson both uh, going on to the wonderful coaching careers it's been super cool to see them uh, come up and achieve that kind of find their legs as, as coaches more than find their legs i'd say but like those are two guys who also came to the the stangs while i was uh coaching the western team so yeah i'd be
2: remiss hmm player names from the past yeah
0: <laughs> well guys this has been awesome i i've taken enough of your time here i'm sure there's more stories so we'll have to get you back on uh mm-hmm. thank you so much for your patience and getting this organized i know you're both uh, extremely busy but to sit down and tell some stories and name drop uh, i really appreciate it i'm sure the listeners are going to get a kick out of it too but uh thanks for sharing all that you did today yeah
2: mm-hmm. well share that uh the leafs have scored three goals since we started this broadcast. So <laughs> they're up six one on the lightning as as we uh finish here. So uh the leafs. yes. So
1: Josh, thanks for having us man. This has been great. Glad we made it happen.